I, I, I got to admit, everything you just said there sounds absolutely disgusting. And I am I am horrified by that. Welcome back to another episode of the Refactored Podcast, where it's our goal here to suck just a little bit less every day. My name is Chris Tonkinson. And my name is Frank Cole. And this is episode number 83 for October 11th, 2022. So I uh, have a, one of, one of my, one of my former managers on my team uh, sent me something. Uh, apparently there has been some internal discussion uh, at my previous employer, his, his current employer, uh, arguing about agile and scrum and how it's, how it's broken. And he was, uh, just letting me know. It was funny because you, you guys did episode 76 was about, uh, you know, we, we talked about agile and we talked about, um, uh, sprint specifically. I think we talked Mm -hmm. to you mentioned Kanban and all that kind of stuff. And he sent me a, um, he sent me a video and how, and how as a refresher, I'm, I'm like not the hugest fan of scrum. And I think right. we're we not a fan. And, yeah, and even f- for the audience, we don't talk much outside of the show, uh, <laughs> but we'll occasionally send a link back or forth. You sent that earlier today. I actually, I watched it and there was one specific thing that the guest said, oh, by the way, I love that continuous delivery channel. There's just a, an unending stream of wisdom coming out of this guy. The, these uh, are, but, but yeah, one these are, thing in particular, the guest said caught me. So, okay. So yeah. So what I, what I liked about um, to recap 76, I was talking about how sprint can be useful. And you were saying, ah, yeah, it's okay, but you know, I do Kanban, but you know, I'm really less interested in any of this, any of this hierarchical stuff. And I just want to get the work done. And I was saying, yeah, I, I am too, but we want to, you know, you can use this, structure to to help get the the work done and we never really came to any there was never really real solid conclusion or anything like that but um i have well because i was making the point that it usually winds up sucking and you were making the point that it can be good well those are not mutually yeah they're not yeah you you, two things can be true at once exactly yeah somebody can take a thing and suck at it and then somebody else can take the same thing and actually be amazing at it you know i'm I'm, all professional sports artists I mean, they, they'd all yeah. sort of musicians. I think it all kind of fits there, you know? Anyway. Um, yeah. The so difference he, between me and you on this show. Right. I, I mean, and I, and I don't think we need to talk about it. The audience obviously already knows which clearly one of us knows. I mean, yeah. I, Ex- we don't clearly know. We don't need to do this, right? right. <laughs> I don't think we I have to go there. Do. No, I didn't think so. Okay. So we, <laughs> this, he sent me this video, um, uh, from this this guy who I, I've never heard of, although I got to admit, I am not um, for for as much self-reflection as I do on my work and my work ecosystem. I don't do a lot of deep delving into other authorities, writers, speakers, things like that in the space. I'm, I'm, I don't I don't do a lot of deities, governments, really your wife and there's nobody <laughs> can can wrangle this wild stallion. So I don't I don't spend a lot of time reading a bit from from others i just take my own observations and just kind of apply them and you know try things and break things. fudge your way through life yeah, yeah, yeah basically fine. fail forward through life yes that's I, yeah. I actually think that's a fairly accurate assessment i i fail forward through life so don't it's it's not a it's not a knock on it's it's more a knock on me than any anything else but i you know he sent me this video by um I have actually not watched the continuous delivery channels. The video obviously would link it into the show notes. 
Um, clearly it's got some, it's got some traction, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, I had never seen it before and I had never seen his guest either. This, this guy named, uh, Alan Holub, I think is how you say his last name. I hope I'm not butchering it. Alan Holub. And so for, for likely there's probably going to be some people in the audience who are like, Oh, of course, Alan. Yeah. How do you not know him? What the hell is wrong with you? Yes. Okay. I, okay. I, I don't, I don't get out much in, in the industry. Yeah. Okay? Send your, send your hate mail to F Cole at gmail.com. Yeah, exactly. So whatever. He had this, this was a snippet from a longer interview and he just, he just destroyed. He, I mean, he took the art conversation that you and I were having and then just like sledgehammered the whole thing to say, you know, so in, in more words, it's not about the scrums. It's not about combine. It's not about the sprints. It's all crap and it all doesn't work. And it's all excuses that uh, were originally intended to paper over uh, to make agile extreme programming XP specifically more palatable to businesses. That's all it was, was a way, a way to get business people to buy pandering, in. pandering to, to weak managers. Yeah that, yeah. that was essentially the sum of the argument. And I will put it in the show notes and it's, it's like nine minutes long. Yeah. It's um, but simple. the point, the, the point, the salient point to me that the thing that really stuck out is when he said, Oh, you know, the, the interesting thing is that XP with scrum wrapped around it works just fine. Scrum without XP doesn't work at all. And or after that, he makes the comment that Scrum is basically nothing, which which is true. It's it's basically it's a couple of and even the and I know this was a little tongue in cheek when it was when it was originally published, but mm-hmm. I think it's become like it's gone from tongue in cheek to being like its own caricature of cringe. The word ceremonies. Yeah, I I, I, I don't even like that word anymore. And and that's no, I don't either. And, you know, and Scrum, it's not, you know, it's not just Scrum versus XP, right? Scrum is, is a, it's a part of an over, it's like a, it's like, okay. So it's like a rapper. It's it's exactly what Alan um, said. I don't think, I wouldn't complicate it. I would just go with his terminology. Scrum is a rapper XP. No, you know, you know how the, uh, you know how like the, um, like big ag back earlier in the, in the last, in the, in the 20th century, big ag got together as a lobby and then forced the USDA to come up with a food pyramid that put grains as the largest tiles at the very bottom of everything. I hadn't, I hadn't heard this. I hadn't heard this conspiracy theory, big ag. No, okay. so you, I mean, I am, look, I'm on the public record as being a fan of conspiracy theories. This is not conspiracy theory land at all. Like this, this happened. This is I, a I, thing. I just like big, um, big anything, big blank. Big, is, is oh always, yeah, is big just, egg. And then I put on my tinfoil hat. Yeah, 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 exactly. Big anything. Tinfoil comes out. Instantly. Oh yeah, for sure. For <laughs> so, sure. I'm usually repping big seltzer, but I'm not. Right. You're not uh, repping not big today. seltzer today. Okay. Uh, I'm still on coffee. I haven't made the switch to seltzer. Oh, he's yet. repping big um, coffee. Wow. That was a whole tangent that didn't need to go anywhere. So point so is ag. on the food, on the food pyramid, it's, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like, what is your software development methodology? Well, that's not a valid question. What are the methodologies you employ? And you mm-hmm. can employ more than one methodology, even if you do them by the book, at the same time. And so, like, Scrum is just one of your food pyramid 
methodologies that you may have in play. So it's not that Scrum wraps XP. It's like completely orthogonal to it. It's like another component of how you get the damn work done. Mm-hmm. So so how you how you, at least on the surface, interface with your stakeholders, interface with technical management, how how you do that is kind of orthogonal to getting the work done, right? So like a lot of people, yeah, the valley, and it's spread. This one I never got, you know, there are different things that emerge over time and they sweep the industry, usually from San Francisco outward in like a radial pattern. They sweep the rest of the world because if Google does it, we have to do it too. I think- for me, pair programming is one that never made it there. Like I, that, that's you think one, that's a, one. You think that's a fad? Like, like yeah, paper, like nineteen seventies paper suits. You think you think pair programming is just a fad? I I really do. I know, okay. and I know that's like a lot of really smart people would have really well reasoned ways to disagree. The with entire me on that. company and a lot of Pivotal would argue against you because they and, base their entire a, workflow on it. And a ton of cargo culting asshats would throw poo at me as well. Like mm-hmm. there's, I'm not in the majority on this. I recognize it. Mm, I, don't, I don't, I know. think that solves things that solves problems that you, that you don't, it's have. not the real problem you need to solve for in, in my opinion. Right. Um, anyway, it's just like, I'm, I'm just one giant tangent. I'm, I'm like a, I'm like a spaghetti ball of you, tangents you today. Need, Point is, you need a I, drink. Yeah, can you give it to me? Thank there you. you thank you. Point is, <clears throat> It's not Scrum or something else because that's not a thing. You need it's Scrum and whatever else you're doing to organize and get your work done. So it's not mutually exclusive. But his point was, and I think, you know, he said it perfectly. Scrum is nothing. And that's true. That's, I think one of the reasons why he just put words, one of the reasons I don't like it so much because it's nothing. It doesn't actually, pers- you can't just say, oh, we do Scrum and then expect great outcomes next quarter as opposed to last. Like it does, it's not a, it's not a magic bullet, you know. It's it's like a it's like a car without an engine. Great, it looks fine sitting in the driveway, but it didn't do you anything. I'm actually taking his comments a little bit further, and I'm actually watching right before we start recording. I'm I'm watching a a longer speech that he gave in 2014, and I'll send you the link. We'll include this one in the show notes too. This one's about a half hour, and he is just completely deconstructing everything that we think of and define as agile. And the 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 broad de- the broad argument is that. What we have today is all of this window dressing bullcrap stuff to sell more certifications, to um, to get businesses to bring in consultants and to make money. And it's all this process and 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 layers of stuff. And it's cargo culting in, in the truest sense. He actually goes into the cargo cult analogy. Yeah. And but but where where I think you're the point I think you're missing is. None of that. It's not just that, you know, it's not just that this stuff is, is deleterious or, you know, like sometimes it can be good. No, it's all bad. Get rid of all of it. It's all actually counterproductive to the the root of agile, which is working with people first. There is no, you know, there are no defined processes. The processes actually come out of working with the people. Interactions with the people. Yeah. So depending on the people, depending on what you're doing, those processes will change. They'll be different and unique for every, you have three different, three different groups of people. You have three completely different quote unquote agile processes because it's going to be unique for that, that, for that team, for that group of individuals. And every time we use these 
these structures, we, we, we implement them and th- thinking that it's this canned solution. Like, I'm just going to implement Scrum. I'm going to implement sprints. I'm going to implement combat. Like, that's not, no. Like, these are- the, Doesn't the, solve anything. Yeah, the, there are processes and, and, and these teams will develop their own processes, but they're unique to the situation. And yeah, you'll reuse some of them and some of it will look like these things. And that's fine. They're not never going to fit and they're not supposed to. I'm really, really jazzed on this. And it's the reason I started talking about it today, because this is how I have always felt about processes. Even in, I, I think I did myself a disservice when we had that previous conversation because I was, I was touting, okay, I found a utility. I found a useful bit of, of the sprint planning. I found a way that that was useful, but it was useful in that scenario with that team and it may not be useful elsewhere. And that's sort of where you came. And in, if you were saying, if like, we no. go back to that conversation though, what was, what was your core argument? Why are the sprints useful? Cause you don't want to be a D bag to your, to your stakeholders. You don't want to just say that, no, that's not important people. enough to schedule about right now. It was a people, people thing, right? It was a people thing. It's all people. It's Which all people. It, 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 that's the hard problem. And that, see, this is why, this is where I think there's, there's a lot of like you, you look at the half-life of an engineer is like four and a half years or something, mm-hmm. right? Before they go, they find a different industry or be- they, they become a manager, right? And mm-hmm. and we've talked before about how dangerous it is to just say, okay, well, who's been on the team the longest and you're the new manager, right? You lose like two or three times over when you have that attitude. But the people that are the best problem solvers, it's it that's not all of it. Is. That's, that's not all that it is, right? The mm-hmm. people management puts you, it's, if, if you're just, you're, you're a contributor, you're heads down developer, you're writing your code all day and you have this fantasy that like, I don't have to deal with people. And it's just, it's fallacious to the point of actively harming you, your mental and emotional health, your career path, your income. It's, it's like actively detrimental to what you're doing to have the attitude that I'm just going to write code and I don't have to deal with people. The code is the easy thing. And I don't care if you just get out of college and you have a Java course under your belt only and no real experience. The code is not going to be the hard thing that you that, that you grapple with. It is always going to be the people. Until we get replaced by Skynet, it's always going to be that dealing with the people is the hardest, the hardest thing about it. And even when Skynet takes over, we have to band together and unify with our mad Maxian vehicles to go take it out. We are going to infight on the road to war with the machines. And it's going to be the people that ruin our chances at overthrowing our new overlords. (laughs) Always people. It's always, it's always people. Anyway, I have an article talks about why silos suck. And in there I have at near the end of the conclusions, all technical problems are business problems. All business problems are people problems. It all comes back to people. Like it's a sort of a daisy chain, you know, for an engineer to get there, you know, the technical leads to the business, the business leads to the people. But really at the end of the day, it is all people Uh, up and down. It is, it is all people. Well, how do we measure at setting aside everything else? What is one of the consistent themes when we talk about quality software maintenance comes up and, and we could, we could have a whole, we could have a whole probably month worth of shows arm wrestling about what maintainability actually means, but one of the key, and I would argue the only factor that actually matters in the long term, 
is a, a new human's ability to come into the team, get clone, understand what the heck is going on, and make a change that the business needs to the base mm-hmm. with, with, with confidence. So what does that mean? When you're, when you're writing code, you're not writing it for the machine. You're writing it for the people who are going to be reading it later. Like that's, there's, there's no version of this where, where the human interaction is second order. Right. Yeah. No, I, I completely, completely agree. Um, but, and that's why I, I, I like, because what Alan does not, not in the snippet in this longer, in this longer presentation, he gave at a conference. He actually talks about how, like all of this process and architecture is is actually um, counterproductive to true agile because it's about the people and it, it's not about making a team agile. It's not about engineering being agile and then you know surrounding it with the normal processes of the other departments. It's about the org at a base level being agile. It's and a he, cultural problem. And he and he makes a push for. He uses an example of like the QA team. You shouldn't have a QA team. QA should be part of the dev process. You're doing, you're writing your tests as you're writing your code. I, you and I have agreed on this. I have always believed that, I mean, the number one tester is the person writing the code and they should build their own, write their well, own tests and, and test but why as do you run they in, build. They should and why do you run into these silos, right? Because as, as you scale, it becomes difficult to manage all of the concerns that, that need to be accounted for. And so then what happens is you say, okay, well, this isn't working, so I'm going to appoint somebody to make sure that that thing gets done. And that's, that's the seed that will grow into all of these siloed departments. And why did that happen? Things weren't getting done. Why? Because of the people. Because you didn't have the work organized. You didn't, you didn't push responsibility to the edges. Ultimately, because you didn't hire the right people or, or provide the environment in which the right people would thrive the right ways. And, yeah. and it becomes an incentive problem and, and a setup thing. It's all human factors. Well, then you've got the, and you have the keeping us on track here a little bit. The, the you know, the, the cargo. Well, that's cult, not a concern of mine. The cargo cult elements of, of a business, the fact that businesses just love process for this, for its own sake. There's a good reason to have it, but a lot of times, and you see this with any, any kind of dogmatic implementation of a scrum team with a project, like, that's process for process's sake. That's that's the cargo cultness, and that's what Alan is absolutely railing against. And so he yeah. you know, he in this in this longer piece, like I, I love what he's saying. He is just he you you don't need a QA team. You you get rid of middle management. You have no middle management at all. Uh, the team should have its own budget, and then they should just manage their own budget. They shouldn't have to talk to finance. They shouldn't have to do anything except they've got their budget. And they spend it the way they want to. They have to be responsible for it, but they're also like you gave them the thing, let them go do the thing. So if they decide to spend a chunk of the budget on a conference, they spend it on a conference. And and mm-hmm. I, it, it was so refreshing. And what I realized, my, my silos piece, and then there's there's another one that I'm writing right now that actually goes into um, a, 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 how how managers can be hands-on versus hands-off. What I have realized I'm, I'm doing as I'm, as I'm looking at Alan's work here is he explains how companies do all this process for its own sake and to be truly agile at a baseline, you knock all this process down. You have process, but you don't you know, dogmatically set it up just because you let the teams yeah. dictate it and you, you just sort of you know, step back and let them, let them self-organize to a certain extent. Um, what I have been doing is I've been trying to, I'm coming from the other direction where I have been trying to justify to the organization 
why it is in your best interest to do these things. So, you know, it, why it works for you, like, you know, silos suck. Here's why silos suck. So don't do silos. Yeah. Ergo, you know, move to true agile, you know? So I'm, I'm, I'm saying the same thing from the, from the other direction. When there's, and and there's I think that's hints why it's of really that, resonating There's hints of me. that in Scrum, right? Because a Scrum team is supposed to be interdisciplinary and all of that kind of stuff. And, right. and it's like, oh yeah, we're going to implement a process to solve that root issue. And, and it, you know, I think, I think in a, in a bad enough environment, it is a step in the right direction, mm-hmm. right? But it always becomes a problem. It always becomes a problem when you have, <clears throat> when you have rules for their own sake, right? Because, and mm-hmm. I think, and that's a scale question. You can have a startup with six people and you don't need anything. You don't need anything at all no. to get, to get work done and be effective. You need nothing. So why, why does that work at six people and not 6,000? Right. And, right. and, and it's because I think scale begets, there's, there's overhead involved and, and at a small scale, everybody can keep the overhead in their head at one time. Mm-hmm. And at a large scale, that's not possible. So you got to specialize and then you got silos and then you, all these problems creep up. It's almost like an inevitability. This is why I don't like big things. You know what I mean? Big, big things begin to exist for their own sake. Right. And these policies are the mechanism by which that happens, right? And, and I, I'm constantly challenging things, challenging things on my team. Like, is, is this process serving us or vice versa? And, and oftentimes, I think you start asking that question in meaningful ways, and you're going to piss a lot of people off who wrote the policies in the first place. Right. But you know what? The hell with that, because that's, I mean, that, that's, you, you should, you should be assessing them exactly the way that you're describing. If it's no longer applicable, then you should, then you should change it. The person who, the person who wrote it should be completely on board with that. If they're not, that's actually indicative of them being weak or feckless in their, in their role. You know, that's, that's an insecurity. That's a them problem. Not a, not a you problem. Um, and I wouldn't, I don't think we should let that stuff stop us, but we do. We let a lot of that stuff stop us for the sake of it. Um, you know, the, um, you know, again, Alan's recommendation of, you know, knocking down all these departments and absolutely no middle management and all this kind of stuff. I thought, you know, this is, it's, it's extreme in, in the sense of, you know, an organization who's built around that. But I mean, really, yeah, it's not necessary. It really isn't. If you, if you just, Trust people. I think it all comes back to trust. I, I keep coming back to that because I really think that that's the, the the crux of the whole thing. Because the guy or gal at the top trusts themselves to do the work better or make the decision better than whoever's underneath of them, and delegating that, you know, letting go of that is naturally for humans hard. Yeah, you know, we trust I, ourselves more than we trust. Yeah, I think else. I think it does. I think it does become a. So you say, okay, it's a human problem. Well, great, but that's not a practical. That's not practical response. What what the hell does that actually mean? Um, I think trust is is probably most of that answer. And and I look at it this way. You yeah, that can work if you can trust your people. But how do you know you can do that? Well, uh, most people in technical roles like they don't know how to hire very well. They have well thought out process and policies and procedures, right? Um, but you've really got to hire for trust. 
Mm-hmm. And and you've got to be quick to change your mind if you come to find out there's reason that that trust cannot be granted, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. nobody wants to say it, but that's that's the unfortunate reality. And I think the the more that you tolerate, um, the more that you tolerate an environment where there where there can't be trust, you are immediately you are on the expressway to that future of of policy riddled siloed shenanigans. Um, you really, you really have to have strong partners on your team, you know, and, and, and it, what I mean is, is your, your direct reports, you've, you've really got to have strong partnerships so that you can, you know, delegate an outcome and not a task. Mm-hmm. And if you can't, because if, as soon as, at, whenever you have to delegate a task, something's failed way before that point. And that can be tough. That can be tough to, to grapple with. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I don't disagree with any of that. I think that it's a, it's, it's, but it's a natural, um, it's a, we are naturally disinclined. You know, we are, we are inclined to the contrary to, you know, to trust ourselves over others. And so it's a, I'm not saying you're wrong. They're not, they're not opposed. Right. They're not opposed. Cause what you're, what you're speaking to is a, like a very real human factor for sure. I'm not, I'm not saying that isn't the case. Uh, I'm saying that the way, the way I think about, where trust is most impactful over the long term it's it's can you tr- not not are you willing or will will you actually in practice trust people because that's a you problem um but are you are you reasonable to trust if you're so inclined and that's a that's a them problem meaning the people that you that you hire to actually do the work yeah but i i feel like the simple there's a i feel like the answer is simple it's not easy but it's simple and that is yeah. to offer the trust, and if they succeed, more trust, and if yeah. they fail, less trust until the point that you you kick the person out. And and it it it's still that is that is purely a them problem. You know, you're you're either earning the trust, you're either earning your way in, or you are you know earning your way yeah. out, so to speak. But mm-hmm. in order to do that. The prerequisite is the person actually offering the trust in the first place. Somebody has to f- make the first move. And the person who is delegating these tasks down, it is incumbent on them to always be trying to push the trust down. And that's where we run into trouble because, okay, I got burned last time, so I'm going to be less trustful this time. But it's a different person. It's a different situation. You you need to really come at it you know, in an open and honest way. Um not forsaking the lessons that you've learned, of course, you know, we, we learn every, you know, we learn new things as we yeah, go. But ba- but baggage we, is hard to deal with though. The baggage is right. That's, that's my point. And I think that's why a lot of this stuff gets crystallized because, okay, this worked before and I'm going to use it again. And uh, baggage reaches a critical mass. It basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like a, lo- a lot of this stuff f- f- bundles in on itself and that's why I, I think that our, I think our show and our whole mantra here of refactoring fits perfectly with this because we should look to constantly reinvent, to knock it down to the studs and build it back up. That's also exactly the same way that you fight these trends of bigness that you were describing. I don't like big things. Well, how do you keep things from being big? You just keep smacking that little bastard back down. You know, don't let it get too big for its britches. Refactoring, rebuilding these these processes, these structures 
as you go along because of new information, because your situation has changed, because the only constant in life is change, will keep them from growing beyond their boundaries and starting to live for their own sake. It's part of the reason why our government was originally set up to be a democratic republic and, you know, all the pieces were pushed out to the states. It was designed to keep the, the, push, the federal part to the edges, small. You know? it was which just, which like, is the root of agility, point. you know? Yeah, it, was, it, and, it really and then, was. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then and it's now it's scale not, it's somebody big monster. And then it scale somebody, you know, doesn't or can't trust the edges to do the right thing, handles, uh, responds to a breach of trust in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And you wind up with uh, giant code factories. And I just, it sucks, exactly. man. I, you know, that would that there were a better future for us all. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's, but I think that there is actually a way out of that vicious cycle. And that is to, I, I think it's two things. It's one, even, even with all of your baggage, even with all your past experiences, a new situation, new team, new person, new project, all, you've got to hand out. You've got to, you've got to offer that trust, even if you have been burned before. And we all have, I know I have, and I know you have. Um, yeah. And then the other part of it is, constantly reassessing the processes and structures that you do have in place. Is this still good? Is this still working? I don't think there's a wrong there. Uh, I think we're emphasizing different parts of it, but I think, I think ultimately all I mean, of there's this a wrong stuff there. back to the others. original point. It's, it's with the other side. <laughs> yes, it's, 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 with, it's with everybody else, right? I'm, everybody I'm, else I'm the in the right here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. they're the problem. They're no, the but problem. At, so at, just to, just to bring it back, cause I, I think I'm going to make this my, 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 uh, my pick here would be, um, Alan, Alan Holub. I hope I'm not butchering your name, sir. Um, he made some, I, I like his style on agile and it's, I watched very- a short video and I, I like the cut of his jib. I, I wish there was, there wasn't enough substance there for me. He was saying things that like, oh yeah, that sounds really punchy. Like it would win internet points on Twitter, but like, yeah, you're 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 raising protests, not alternatives. So, like, I want to hear more about it. You're saying this more longer form. He's is, got yeah. is that okay? Yes. Yeah, we'll yeah. definitely so he takes, we'll make he, that the pick. He actually put yeah. He actually puts his he puts his money where his mouth is and really starts to deconstruct things. And I would say, you know, you talk about internet points. I think the longer one earns even more because he talks in in very concrete ways. He talks about how you know uh, he used the QA department as an example, and you know says you know the QA department shouldn't exist, but it does exist. And so the guy who runs the QA department has a vested interest in it continuing to exist, which means he fights agile because he doesn't want to lose his job. And, you know, he shouldn't lose his job. He should be agile and find a way to fit it. Like he gets, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I could see him absolutely pissing off a, you know, an executive team and I, I love him for it. So Alan Holub, we'll, we'll send some links. Super augmented, silent and deadly. I just might end up enjoying this. Now, I don't know if this was actually a pick previously. I know we talked about it on one or two occasions. Um, uh, and this is in the vein of of, of software craftsmanship. Uh, Stripe has been putting out a publication called The Increment. It's a, a physical paper and they have a digital we've magazine. We've absolutely talked about this. Um, you you yeah. got physical no, copies. I, from- I, I know we have. I said that we've talked about it once or twice already. Oh, I Did thought you, you said you listen to sure. the words that are coming out of my I, mouth? I, 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 no, I'm not actually. No. I, I mean, you, no. you've talked and it's- <laughs> as, a, as a rule. Yeah. Pretty much as a rule. Yeah. Like, you know, the Charlie Brown adults. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. 
So uh, there was this whole thing where they they were uh, they were going to publish like a box set, and then they oh, had the to drama. refund yes, it. And there was this like reply all thread with like nine hundred people. You made lifetime was, friends, and you know, oh, it was adventures glorious, were had. right? Yeah. Uh, so then they had to push it back because of some issue. Then they outright canceled it. Now it's just it's the project is dead. No, um, God. But but they offered instead of like a I forget what was all in the box. It's it's been like a year. I don't remember. Um, they published a, uh, they said, Hey, we're just, this is DOA. It's no more. Uh, but you can buy a set, but you know, we get to give you a discount for a complete set anyway. So, wait, so it's I dead, think it, but they're going to do it anyway. I don't understand. Well, no, this was a, this was a special collector's boxed edition with some oh. other stuff or whatever. They said, nah, this is not, this is non-starter, but we'll send you all of the same episodes for, we'll send a, you the a, physical, a you know, we'll give yeah, you it's not yeah. the fancy box set, so, but it's the original publications or something. Yeah, yeah. It's, and so there's like 19 of them so far. And so I, I had ordered that. Um, and that came and they have a bunch of topics in there. It's, it's really good. I'll, we'll link it again in the show notes. I'm not going to like enumerate them all. Um, but it's like a, it's a, a small, it's not like a magazine. It's, it's a little more like a, it's like a higher end magazine. I don't know how to describe it. Cause I'm not like in that world publishing, whatever, um, mm-hmm. thicker covers, thicker pages. It's the binding is, is actually square. Like it's bound. It's not just stapled and folded the way like a, a normal magazine off mm-hmm. the stand is, you know what yeah. I'm talking about? It actually, it actually has um, a bounded cover. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so anyway, uh, all sorts of topics, you know, uh, agile and, and continuous delivery and, and meetings and all this kind of stuff. And, and I, I took a peek at it. it just, I haven't had time to dig in, but I took a peek and it looks great. Um, so if anybody was curious by that, you can go and you can buy the, buy the set. Um, however, on the covers, I, I put them, uh, over on my, my shelf, and the covers, it's the, the magazine's called The Increment. And so on the first issue, uh, on the binding, it's like, oh, issue number, date, title. And then at the bottom, it's a white cover, off-white cover. And then at the very bottom, there's like a little bit of, you know, pink or purple or whatever the color is. I think and I then on, on, on volume two, on the second one, the, the little bar is a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. So as you look at them all stacked next to each other on the shelf, this little bar graph like goes up, 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 because it's the increment, right? It's kind of a cute little, yeah, 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 a little. Except episode, except episode, uh, episode. I keep calling it issue eighteen. The bar is a little lower than that of seventeen, and it drives my OC. Basically, it's literally unreadable. <laughs> is my final review one star? Literally unreadable. <laughs> Uh, and I looked, it's not like it was just cut wrong because the title, the episode, uh, the issue number, the date is all still in alignment. So I don't know who dropped the ball there, but that guy needs to get fired. The music's bad and you should feel bad. Whole thing is botched. It's all garbage. (laughs) Cannot recommend zero out of 10. Zero out of 10 stars would not recommend. Do not, do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Uh, literally unreadable. And, and the reason that I did not get time to crack it is I was actually bashing my head against my desk. This is like the worst thing ever. Um, Sounds I had, I had like two hours of slack time this week. I actually had like two hours to myself to do something. And so I actually went in and this is the first time I've done this in, I want to say like six years. That doesn't sound quite right, but I think it is. I, I opened up uh, a little black window on my computer and I typed in Rails new. I don't know if you've had this experience before. 
I wasted. I'll cut to the chase window. because because it just it it infuriates and embarrasses me to no end. I'm I'm like my blood pressure is going up just thinking about it right now. Okay. I wasted two hours of my life bashing my head against the wall, reinstalling R bend, reinstalling rails, reinstalling mm. Ruby build, and all of this kind of because it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. Turns out. When I ported all of my data to this uh, this MacBook, somehow I don't know when it got there, why it got there. I don't know what happened, but somehow there were two uh, in my home directory, my bin folder. There was a Rails and a Ruby or Rake or something else. There were two Arbenv shim scripts that made their way into my personal bin folder, mm-hmm. and so. Arbenv installed correctly. Ruby build installed correctly. Ruby was a 3.1.2 installed correctly. Mm-hmm. I was able to install the Rails gem and all the depths came in correctly and everything was fine. And when I went into a brand new clean empty folder, uh, set the Ruby version through Arbenv to 3.1.2 and type Rails new, I got an error that boot slash config could not be found, which anybody knows Rails is a core file in, a, in an existing Rails re- but in a fresh folder, Rails new, there is no boot config because it's not a Rails project yet. And I, somewhere through the shimming, pathing, madness, I, I, I'm so, I feel like, I feel like I'm used, I feel like I, I have to give up my nerd card for a while because of this. <laughs> I don't even know what made me look in my bin directory in the first, but I finally cleared that and got to Rails new and created a few migrations and, uh, I gotta say, it was like a warm blanket. It feels like, great, oh, doesn't I, it? Building like, it, I, starting a new. I thing. know how to be. I know how to be productive here. Because I looked, I was like, "Oh, what are the new frameworks? What's the cool stuff? What's happening?" You know, blah blah blah. And then ultimately, I was like, "Okay, all of that's cool, but I don't need any of the new stuff. I want to be productive with this." And I went, and it was just like a nice warm blanket <laughs> and <laughs> cup of cocoa. You know what I mean? Yeah, Rails. I. I I think Rails is one of the best designed frameworks ever, and because I agree very, whole, very much with with DHH David Heinemann Hansen and the way that he approaches, um, uh, it, 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 it's it's kind of like this. It's kind of like this Alan Hall guy. He he has a very deconstructive view. He does not get very dogmatic about these things. There's these different techniques and these different patterns and use what makes sense. And if part of a pattern makes sense and you mash it with this other part of a pattern, that's fine because it works. And the, he, he's actually big on the, you know, he, uh, Rails is very monolithic. It's designed to be, but yeah. it also has touch points. It has the extension points where you can start to separate things out as you need to, but you don't have to. You can just start as a, as a big old monolith and everything's in the box and you just start writing code. You just start making the thing yeah. do things. Well, and that and was it. Once I got over my, yeah. Yeah. And then the proof's in the pudding. Once I got over my own local environment yeah. issues, which I, again, I cannot overemphasize how furious I am about the waste. Of I mean, it's fail. You should be embarrassed. And I am. And you feel shame. And then, and then you get free. <laughs> um, so, but, but past that rails, new, generated a few models, ran the migrations, like within, within 10 minutes, I had something where I had the core, like, and I mean, really core essential, right? Yeah, We're not, this bones. is not wizardry. Yeah. I'm not Harry Potter over here, but like bare bones, core essential 
um, structure of the models and relationships that I needed in a way that if I had installed, um, and I think the next step is I'll look at one of these magic admin gems for, for rails that give you like the, um, the crud for all your stuff magically. Right. Um, but it was just, is so I, I've spent a lot of time recently with, with Python, with Scala, with C sharp, with other Java, with other frameworks and, and, and libraries. And I just, I keep going back the first time that I, I remember the first time researching rails and it's like not 2012 or something. And I looked at it and was like, Oh, productive web frameworks. Like what the shit does that like? That doesn't, what do you mean? It's a productive framework. That's a bull crap word. Don't try to, <laughs> don't try to sales me salesman. What Won't are you, you selling me? Your sass. Oh my gosh. These guys and their abstract nonsense. Oh, and then you know what? It is a super productive framework. Mm -hmm. Like once you've built, and it, it doesn't, it can be a cap log. It doesn't have to be complicated, but once you've built literally anything with Rails, you begin to see, um, and some of the architectural decisions are key to that. I'm not saying that Rails is nothing new, um, and I'm not saying that it's earth shattering, but I think you're right. It is as far as ergonomics and productivity, uh, which are like, uh, to be honest with you, though, those are really, really, really those important. Are, Anyone who tells you otherwise really doesn't near, break code. They're really near the top of the list if they aren't the list all in of themselves. Yeah. Um, Rails is, it's just, it's still good, man. It's a warm blanket and it just works. It, really, it just works. And Ruby's a really elegant language. And I, you know, you can have neckbeard conversations about the performance of it. And, but even that kind of stuff, you can throw hardware at the problem. And there are some, pro, there are some things that are, uh, I know they have a a, a JIT, a just-in-time compiler that they are. I, I don't know if it's been included or not yet. No, Ruby know, Ruby three. I think it was. Did a, they I include think it was the a, JIT in three? It was optional in like two six, and then I think at some point, I think with three or three one. Okay, they, so they maybe the, maybe default. those performance complaints are. But to are be honest annoying, with you, the performance but, complaint, like any any modern runtime on any modern hardware is just fine. If just you fine. hit the limits, yeah. there are two things you need to do. First off, and nobody wants to do this work, but this is the very first thing you do. Go think about your, your algorithmic complexity and go think about your data structures. First order of business, because yeah. I guarantee you, you can run what you need to run on what you already have if you refactor your, your logic flow. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is, if that's done and you feel good about it, go buy more servers. <laughs> yeah, throw hardware at the problem. Just throw hardware at the, it ain't worth, yeah. it ain't worth your time, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I made that, I was like, oh, okay, so what do I want to do here? I have this, I'm, it's, it's green for it. I just did Rails new, right? Do mm -hmm. I want, do I want an API? Should I pick a front end framework? Should I do? And I was like, no, nah, mono repo, monolith. I'm going to get started. That's it. Um, you don't need any it's of that crap it's to a, get started. And it's a side project. Uh, it's a side project to scratch my own itch. And I, there could be potential monetization for it, and it's super simple. So I think my path, as as long as it works the way I think it will, um, I think my path is actually going to be uh, try to put it out there as as something that uh, that I think there's a freemium model there, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and and open source it. Because hey. it's literally like it's 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 literally you you can build this in an afternoon. If I actually had focused dedication for half of a day, I could get this from zero to one. It is mm. that simple. The data model's not complicated. The the business logic is very minimal. There's one or two uh one or two little areas where, okay, 
there I might waste some time going down some rabbit holes, but the the general flow of it is just so drop dead simple that like why not open source it because again, it can be replicated in the afternoon. I don't gain anything by holding those cards. Um, at the same time, if I can turn it into a service and and you know folks find value in it, then that would be that would be great. But yeah, just the the experience, the Rails new like it was, and I think the last time I used Rails was like four had just come out and so there's a lot of new stuff in seven um there's a framework for background oh, there's, tons of stuff, jobs. Yeah. there's a ton of stuff in here that's really cool looking but if the, i can if i can one of beef i do have with with rails is the the distinction the the very I, I i can't even keep it straight in my head i need to go find the random article that talks about it the esoteric distinction that rails draws between the things that it prefixes with active Versus the things it prefixes with action. Because you oh, have yeah. action controller versus, I think it's active job. Now, there's a, there is some model. distinction that they yeah. draw, like where they use action versus active. And I think it's one, either not enough of a distinction or two, those terms are way too similar and you need to pick a different one to prefix it, yeah, to, to draw I would, the distinction. Yeah. I do not like that. But that's a yeah. that's a pet peeve. I just kind of that's a nitpick. That's a it's, nerd it's a nitpick. nitpick. I, I admit yeah. it. It's it's very nitpicky. But it's also like the I, I'm big on ergonomics. I'm big on yeah. UI UX, yeah. and this to me feels, especially for a product that really touts itself on the ergonomics, this feels like a fail. This feels like mm-hmm. yeah, you probably should have done better here. Uh, yeah. And it's too it's too embedded now that I mean I can't see them changing it ever, but. It, it it's to this day that drives me nuts. Um, like, but I did, I did just, yeah, why? that's, and, and there's, there's relatively, the other thing is learning curve. There is now so much in it that even coming in with some, like I've got some hefty rails experience from years prior, uh, just wrapping my arms around what's changed, what's been added since then. Like, what are the, what mm-hmm. are the things that absent any understanding from myself, I'm going to go and reinvent that they already put in the framework. Mm that's going to be um, the learning curve. You, you got to understand. And you can, from 10 minutes, if you don't know anything, you can do something in Rails in 10 minutes. Yeah. But not reinventing the wheel or setting yourself up for success later, like that kind of stuff. Um, Rails, there's a lot of it at this well, point. Well, I mean, they've got a lot of, there's a lot of tools in the toolbox now. Like the Rails toolbox has gotten bigger, but the foundation yeah. of it hasn't changed. Like you're still starting with the same basic ingredients no there model, is yeah but model but like view controllers the, migrations like active mailer and active job or action mailer active job right. there's your see? there's your complaint see? again right the mailer the job like these are these are the things that are added action that, uh, cable uh yeah there's action cable yes yeah. there are the, yeah, but they're all they're all addendums they're all just kind of mm-hmm. sitting there they don't actually you don't utilize them no they don't get in your way they don't get yeah they don't so they don't get in your way up front so i think you're so i think you're you're okay there I think Rails' biggest challenge, um, I, I, I did the same thing with a, with a side project. You and I talked about it a little bit. Um, I did the same thing with a side project. Got started, did a new Rails thing. And, and you know, um, none of those new pieces were stumbling blocks for me. Uh, the biggest no. challenge is I, I actually found it was challenging to come back because some of the uh, core baked things had changed that I had gotten used to. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I had to get uh, used to things again. So uh, for example, they used to have, um, there used to be a, uh, a method that you would use in your views called uh, form 
four. Mm-hmm. And that one you would attach to a to an actual model to a, yeah. to a, to a mod uh, object so that you could do some verification. Yeah, it's a magic attached to it. But if you wanted to just do a normal form and you didn't want to attach it to a model, you had to use a separate method call called fields for, and you would do things a little bit differently. Well, they've changed that now and they have just one call. And I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. I'm scrolling through my code here to see if I can find like a recent where I was thinking with it. Um, and so now the form with that's it. So now you have, so they, they collapse them both. They collapsed it down. With. It's one. And mm-hmm. I was confused at first. I was like, what is going on here? And then I had to go and like do the research. And I, fortunately their documentation is pretty good. And where their documentation faults you, it's open source. So I just go right to the source and I start p- poking around. I know enough of that now to really navigate around the rail source. And I realized what was going on. And, ah, okay. But like my curse of knowledge, you know, the stuff yeah, I knew before yeah. actually was, was getting in the way. Um, I think the hardest thing for, so coming back as a, as a returner, I think that's the thing you got to watch out for. The thing is a newbie, the challenge of rails for a newbie hasn't changed. Uh, it's the fact that rails, uh, excuse me, Ruby allows monkey patching. And for anyone who doesn't know, monkey patching means that you can go and redefine add, add or edit the definitions of an existing class, you can actually in a newer, in, a, in, a, in another file, you can go back and change things, including the core Ruby libraries and rails yeah. does a crap ton of monkey patching. A lot of it. And yeah. so there's and not just, not just the class definition itself, but individual instances. I mean, yes. you know, the, yeah. yeah. So it gets, so it puts, it injects a ton of magic. And if you're new to rails, and new to Ruby at the same time, it can be extremely hard to mentally separate what's Ruby from what's Rails and yeah. when Rails is injecting itself into core Ruby. It gets it can be very, very challenging. And to be honest with you, somebody new whose goal is to build a Rails app, it doesn't really matter. No. But it, if you if you need to go and find the documentation for it, you might waste a few cycles because you type in Rails blank man page or whatever. And then you realize, no, that's actually over in the Ruby docs and not the rails docs. I think that's fairly minimal. Yeah. At the outset, I will say every, every newbie who's coming at it this way though, at some point they will run into this wall where they will have to tease apart Ruby from rails. And that process, that is a learning curve. That is a, you know, that's a, that's a spike. Once you, once you hit that though, you kind of, once you understand that and understand what it's doing and where, and you start to, you start then to get you start a feel, to be able to see, you the, start to be the able to see and, and you're like, brunette. okay, yeah. I think this is like, I know yeah. from this other thing over here. So this looks like it's similar rails, monkey patching magic. So I, 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 and I know that I can look at the Ruby documentation and I can diff it with the rails documentation. And I can see where the different, you get better at that and becomes less of a problem, but reaching that plateau initially can be a real struggle for 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 newbies especially if ruby and rails are your first programming yeah. language that can be the other thing i will say struggle. yeah the other thing i will say coming back is like oh uh is is can can still relevant is devised oh, still relevant is is blank like i i have this this laundry list of things mm-hmm. i used to depend on that did a bunch of work for me that i knew how to work with I can't put into Google. Is this still worth it? Like, what is the contrib? So oh, you go you've got to you've got to spend some time. Like, when was it last history. updated? That's what I do. I go to the project source page and I just no. Look yeah, to you can do that. But like, but I mean, I, I you know, 
it takes a little work to go through that inventory of things that I would, uh, I would typically rely right. on in a new rails install. So like, Oh, is this actually still the smart choice? Is there something, you know, is not just is the better? project still alive? Cause I can do that. That's easy. Yeah. Um, but is it did something better come along, you know, or, or whatever. A good project. Um, uh, so I, I've, I've never done, I hadn't done this before because I ran into the same thing. I was looking, okay, I started from scratch and I didn't want to add any of my previous libraries in. So I, you know, I, mm-hmm. I re-inventoried like you, like you were saying. Um, one thing that I found can be really helpful in doing that is actually to find other big open source projects that are built on Rails and see what they're using. Um, and yeah, honestly, but the problem there is the problem there is they, they get, they get stuck with stuff just because they picked it long ago. Depends. So it's, it's, it can be helpful. And there are a couple of projects that I can recommend in, in that regard. Uh, it's not everything though. No, it's not everything, but it's yeah. a good, if for a returner like this and, and yeah. for looking for ideas and inspiration for, for good hotness, this is a good way to do it. The top of my list is GitLab because GitLab has proven itself. You can just look at its, at their revision history. GitLab are, and Discourse were the two I was thinking. Okay, of. you were thinking Discourse too. Okay, so I yeah. like GitLab because you can, um, they have a proven track record of this doesn't work. We need to do better. Throw it out. Do something yeah. new. Like they're yeah. willing to do that. So you can look at what's current in their in their repo, and they have a gem file. GitLab is a massive project, but it has a gem file right at the root, like everybody else. And you can look at all the gems they, that they use. They stick. They they they're pretty idiomatic. They stick. They they stick pretty close uh, to to idiomatic with and and discourse goes a little farther, I would say. But GitLab sticks pretty close to idioms, mm-hmm. where where both Ruby itself and then the overall Rails ecosystem tend to go. Um, you'll see pretty good adherence. Discourse. I remember looking through their code at one point, and there they get. Uh, well, it's Discord, not quite as clean. That's uh, and it started I that, much earlier, and they had a very opinionated take on how to do front end, uh, and that that had consequences. And so, I'm not saying it's bad software. Don't please. Discourse is, I think, one of the best pieces of open source web tech to come out of the last decade, like to, to hands down, um, or longer than that, maybe at this point. Gosh, um, but in terms of like how you would architect from net new like a greenfield rails project today wouldn't use them as the shining example. Well, the thing is with the, you got to understand, I think you, you talked about the front end. I think that's true, but I think it, it goes even deeper than that. Cause discourse was founded by Jeff Atwood and Jeff Atwood is traditionally a very hardcore Microsoft C sharp developer. And this was his, as far as I know, this was the first major foray into the, into the open source realm, but he was bringing I'll say I will call them his, you know, his Microsoft C sharp bad habits with him. And, you know, having that, you know, applying his, you know, that that perspective and take to the Ruby ecosystem. Um, is is Discourse built on Rails? Discourse is, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so applying yeah. him so if you think about that, you know, a guy like Atwood, very opinionated in how he's, you know, how his code is built and run and managed running up against rails, which is itself extremely opinionated. Like, you know, you should do things this way for good reasons. And yeah. I mean, we won't stop you if you want to do it elsewise, but we're also not going to help you do it either. Um, I can see those two being at odds with one another, especially early on in the course of it. So the fact that you describe discourse as being a little less idiomatic does not surprise me in the slightest, yeah. given the philosophy yeah. dif- distinctions there. So, 
Um, and I, I'm looking at their site right now, and uh, it looks like they've been around for, Discord's been around about nine years. Nine years. Okay. Started so, in 2013. Yeah. Almost, almost, yeah, geez. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty awesome. Yeah, I don't know. It was, it was interesting to, it was interesting to rails new again after so much time. And, uh, I'm a little, I get a little, little invigorated by the, by the whole thing. Nice. Well, not, I mean, I you, know. you have teased this, but you haven't talked about it. And I get that you're like, it's not live yet. So you don't want to, you know, expose the details, but you know, I think you're, I mean, you're on the record now. You kind of have to finish this thing. You got to push it across that, that zero one, you know, you said like, oh, just, you know, if I had a day and I pushed it across the finish line, I could have it out there freemium. I, I feel like you kind of have to do it now so you can come back and well, no, tell the, everyone getting, what it is. Getting getting to the point where I feel like it's something that I would even allow people to pay for mm. is that that is not a one day. What I mean is this is a problem I want to solve for me. And mm. I've talked to a few other people that were like, oh, crap i will pay for that like like give me like shut up and take my money kind of a thing and that's where i started thinking oh uh yeah you know what this would be super easy to productize and then then the wheels started turning um but yeah this is this is a this is an afternoon to make it for me Mm -hmm. and much more time than that before again before i feel comfortable um taking anybody's money for it as a service Mm -hmm. but again the the difference between what I need, what I want to solve my own itch, and then what I would feel comfortable actually listing as a like as a for profit app, that difference is actually also like pretty small. If I'm if I actually take it that far, most of the work will have gone into the fit and finish and trimmings around taking something from, Hey, here's my open source app on GitLab, not GitHub folks, right? Mm-hmm. Kids, I'm on GitLab for mm-hmm. reasons. Um, uh, taking it from that point to now, now it's actually able to serve other users and do so confidently and scalably and all that kind of nonsense. So all that garbage. Yeah. <clears throat> all right. Oh. Nice. That's, that's my, that's my model. And I mean, for what it's worth discourse, and I didn't even think about this yet, but discourse and GitLab, they're open source and, yeah. and they productize and they, you know, and so I don't have, I, I think um, it's not about the complexity for me, you know, like we say, oh, uh, this, you could build it in the afternoon. So why not open source it? That's, that's not why I would open source it. I, I think it's something that. No, that's not, that's not a good reason to open source. No, no, it, it, it shouldn't not be open source. Right. It's really my default posture. Like uh, I default to open source. And then if there's a, a really good reason to not to, then I'll, then I'll make it a different choice. Yeah. But. Well, I think there's, I, I think, I think it is fine to make a distinction Oh boy, this is a big can of worms. I don't know if I want to go here. Cause we're, we we're opening the, it up right here at the, towards at the, the end one, of the show we here. Literally just crossed the one I took hour us mark. There. So I, there, I think it is perfectly fine. It is a moral and ethical good to open source 80% and then have your 20% special sauce be closed source. That's okay. I think that is totally fine. And the fact that you're offering anything back at all is a net positive. And so holding a piece back is, is not negative because it's the, mm-hmm. just, it, it's the default posture most others have anyway. Now, you know, you don't compare your, you know, that's a moral fallacy to compare yourself to others. And so I don't want to do that, but um, you're already ahead of the game. Well, I'll, I'll put it that way. You're already ahead of the game doing that. And it's, it's okay to 
you know, make money for, for the fruit of your labors. Like that's, that's, yeah. that's fine. You should be paid for the, you know, you should earn the fruit of your labors. I think that's, that's, well, that's, that's and good. that's, and that's, and that's the model. It's, um, pay, you know, uh, it's, it's really, I guess, I guess the distinction is I, I would not want, it's, it's something that I don't want to keep from folks that have the technical ability to run it themselves and don't have the money to pay somebody else for mm-hmm. the privilege of using it. Mm-hmm. Most people of, of people, cause this is not something that targets technical audience. Most people don't know how they don't have a way to run it themselves. And so if they find value in the service, they're going to be happy to pay a minimal right. amount in order to, in order to get the benefit from it. And so I, okay, great. If 20% of the people just go and, and, and use the open source software. Awesome. <laughs> That's great. Like mm-hmm. if honestly, Honestly, after all of this is said and done, if one other human being is using this in any capacity, that's bonus for me. Like yeah. I'm scratching my own itch here. Um, mm-hmm. I have no, you know, I have no, uh, <laughs> I have no reasonable expectation that I'm going to retire in three months because of the billions <laughs> of dollars. This my empire will be built on this. You know, yeah. this is not. <laughs> No, if it's I, enough. I, if if it brings in enough to take my wife out to a, a nice date once in a while, I'll be surprised. You know if, what I mean? Like I'm not. Yeah, and I, it's there are plenty of people like me too who I can run this stuff myself. I don't. Want and you to. just say, I just hey, that's worth two bucks a month. Yeah, you know what I, I mean? I, like I can, that's it. I can bang my head against this for how many hours a day, yeah. week, month yeah. to to get it up and maintain plus. You know, the cost we just talked a few weeks ago uh, yeah. that I'm 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 you're as tinfoil hat as anybody, and I offloaded a bunch of stuff that I self host to third party. So I'm now yeah. I'm now spending X dollars a month that I didn't used to because I'm just tired of managing this stuff. And so if this was offered to me, one hundred percent, I would just pay the couple bucks. Exactly. I would not download and install. There's a, it. Yeah, I would find it. I would clone the repo. I would clone the repo. I would look at it. I would yeah, say, oh, hey, that's neat how they did this and blah, blah, blah. And I would have a copy because if it's open source, I want a copy in case that company goes away. I can still have the thing. Sure. That's that's one of the reasons I like, oh, but, but I'll just pay the money and just give me <laughs> give yeah. me the benefit. It's a lot easier. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, it's it's an effort thing. It's it's not about, it's not even about knowledge necessarily. It's about, it's about effort, I think. So, uh, all right. Why don't we, that was actually, we, we wrapped that one up fairly well. So I, I think let's just, let's just go out on that note before we go really deep down the moral ethical rabbit hole of yeah. open source. And <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot of depths to plumb. There. Oh my I don't gosh. Yeah. So, so much. Um, but, uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, uh retroactive thanks to to alan uh, david alan uh, i screwed up his name i already did it where's, where's my thing alan i got it right alan Holub. the uh, <laughs> uh cool stuff that he didn't know he's going to be sharing with us but uh i appreciate it because it's uh very much in line with what i have always thought about uh how agile is and more specifically what it is not so but what do you all think are uh, is is Scrum the uh, the way, the truth, and the light, or uh, are you more of a knock it all down like uh, like Alan and I? Let us know. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Feedback at refactor.work. That's where you can send your comments, uh, text or voice. We'll take it all. My stuff. Oh, show notes. Yeah, 
you can get the show notes, the links to the videos that we're talking about. That'll all be on our, our website with our show notes. And you can actually listen to back episodes right there. That's at refactored.work. You can also find us on, you know, any, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find us on those, on, on your subscriptions there. Uh, my stuff is available at www.hotcoals.com. And uh, I am not, I'm not prolific with the posting, but I have a number of things that have been building up. I alluded to them a little bit today. I've got a new piece coming out, uh, hopefully before the end of the week. That'll have, uh, it actually kind of dovetails pretty nicely with what we talked about today. So you can check that out. And then Chris and his ramblings, you can check that out at Tonkinson.com. Uh, lucky for him, it sounds exactly like how it's spelled. You don't want to grow up with a weird-ass last name like mine. Trust me. <laughs> this has been episode 83 of the Refactor Podcast, recorded on October 11th, 2022. Thanks again, Chris. Thanks, Frank. <laughs>